And we're learning to wait, learning to wait. We sang a song called One Day. We don't know when that day is, but it's going to be a day, one day. And we'll wait until that day. Because it is, a, it is a day that he promised, and he makes good on his promises. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? As impatient as we are, Lord, we don't understand what's taking so long. <laughs> you know, as I was thinking about waiting, I was reminded of the commercial way back many years ago, the ketchup commercial. And it took forever for the ketchup to come out of the ketchup bottle. And the song was playing, anticipation is making me wait. You know, when is the ketchup going to hit the cheeseburger, you know? And so uh, it's obviously enough of a problem that a little over, well, about a decade or so ago, a gentleman by the name of Dave Smith with a bunch of other uh, engineers and uh, technologists came up with a product called if I can find the name of it here, Liquiglide, Liquiglide. And this is something that you can coat the inside of a ketchup bottle with, and it will make the ketchup come out faster. Because ketchup, it takes ketchup 28 one-thousandths of a mile. Well, let's see, let me say it this way. Ketchup moves at 28 one-thousandths of a mile per hour. So that's, I guess that's pretty slow. I think a turtle is faster. If you've ever waited for a turtle to cross the road, ketchup is slower than that. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's a really good thing. It's, it's apparently some kind of a, a compound that goes on the inside of the bottle and helps sauces and ketchup come out faster. And the only problem is that it's not going to be on the market for another year or so. So we're going to have to wait until we see if it actually works we have to wait get to wait some more let's wait 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 we hate to wait for our ketchup we hate to wait in line at the grocery store we hate to wait in line for anything and you know sometimes we even hate to wait on god you know we don't understand god what's taking so long um carol had to wait carol had to wait to come to church but God was doing something in that way, wasn't he? He was. And, you know, those that have already shared and, and talking about having to wait for this or wait for that, it's a hard thing to wait. It's difficult for us to wait. We don't like it. But I offer this to you this morning, that waiting on God is one of the most important lessons that he is trying to teach me and that he is trying to teach you as well. Waiting on God. Because to wait for someone who has made a promise or to wait on God to do something means you have to believe, you have to trust. And those are some things that we need to develop in our lives and in our situations and in our relationships. Because when we take things into our own hands and we try to hurry God along, we can make a big mess of things, a big mess of things. And that's what we see in our scripture for today in the life of Abram and Sarah. And you see, God had made a promise to them. And sometimes I wondered, maybe God, if you hadn't told them what you were going to do, this situation wouldn't have occurred. But God knows what he's doing. He doesn't need me to tell him how he messed up. Because <laughs> he never has messed up. 
He doesn't need me to tell them, well, Lord, if you'd have done it this way. But they knew that God had promised them a lot of descendants. But before the descendants could come, they had to have that first child. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and that first child just didn't come. And so they waited 10 years. That child didn't come. And so they said, well, you know what? Let's help God out. Let's help God out, and, and let's, let's do this. Let's think of a way where we can help God start, start making good on the promise that he made us, that we will have many descendants. And that's where all the trouble started, when they were trying to hurry God along and tell God, you know, you're taking too long. Let's look at Genesis 16, verse number 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she, had, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Okay, let's stop there for just a minute, and let's talk about how that would just not fly in today's world. You could not do that. That, that just wouldn't happen, and everybody be okay with it. Um, but... Let's understand that this was a different time, and this was perfectly okay. It was perfectly legal. If, uh, if the wife of a husband was unable to bear children, then that wife could offer her maid to her husband. And if a child came from that union, it was a legal and legitimate heir. And it was accepted, and it was, it was acceptable. So that's what they decided to do to help God get started in honoring the, the promise that he had made them. But they forgot that God doesn't need our help. And so it kind of made things worse by their not being willing to wait. Let's read on, verse number 4. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Well, let's stop there for just a second. So there was relative peace in the house uh, up to this point. Maybe a little frustration because we're having to wait for this child, but things were, were running pretty smooth. But after they decided to take matters into their own hands, things didn't go as smoothly. And so you've got Hagar, who is despising Sarah. Sarah is blaming Abram. And even though this was Sarah's idea, Sarah does not respect her husband Abram anymore. And then she calls on God to judge between her and him. Now that whole phrase there, may the Lord judge between you and me, that is a statement of anger. That is an, a statement of hostility. That is a statement of suspicion because Sarah didn't trust her husband anymore. So she called on God to keep an eye on Abram, keep an eye on him. And Abram's no better because he's blaming Sarah for everything. We've seen 
this type of a situation play out in TV shows and sitcoms for years and years. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Matter of fact, it kind of started in the garden, I believe, way, way back, a little bit further back. But that's what was going on. And in verse number 8, Abram says unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand. In other words, it's your fault. I mean, you're the one that controls your servant. You're the one that let me have a relationship with her. You're the one to blame. It's your fault. So do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So what we see here is Sarah humbles Hagar down quite a bit. And she takes her from the status of really a concubine back down to the status of a slave. And she treats her very harshly. And so Hagar doesn't like living in the house anymore because it's just not fun. Uh, it's, it's hard to live and be treated that way. So she decides to run away. She decides to get out and run away. So the house has fallen apart. The family has lost respect for one another. They're blaming each other. It's ugly, ugly, ugly. And it's all because people were not willing to wait on something that God promised and was going to take care of in his time. But it's just like waiting for that ketchup to hit that cheeseburger. I'm going to do something to make it go faster. And that's what they decided to do. They decided to stop waiting on God, which really boils down to they decided to stop trusting God. They decided, you know, we, we've got to take matters into our own hands. So they became impatient, and they forced the issue. And in their own human strength, they devised a plan that made things a lot worse, a lot worse than just waiting on what God had promised. And let's just use a real-life situation here for just a second. You ever had to wait? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody here that drives has had to wait for a parking space before. And does it not seem like it takes forever when you're waiting on a space, you see somebody getting ready to back out, does it not take them forever to back out? I mean, what are they doing? Are they, are they plugging their phone up to the charger? Are they looking for their favorite song on the radio? Are they looking at the receipt to make sure they weren't charged more than they should have? What is taking so long? And this was enough of a problem that there had to be a study done on it. And so they took about 400 drivers in a certain parking lot, and they began to, to, to watch how things panned out. And it appeared that for a person to walk into their or get into their car and back out of a space took uh, about 32.2 seconds if there wasn't anybody waiting for that space. So if you just got in the car and you, and you started it up and you backed out, 32.2 seconds. But if somebody was waiting on average with these 400 test subjects, uh, it took, on average, if somebody was waiting for that space, 39 seconds. Longer. It took longer. And if, the, if somebody tried to force the issue and move things along by honking their horn, it took 43 seconds for that person to back out. Now, you know, 43 seconds on paper doesn't seem like a long time. But it's an eternity when you're in the car and you're waiting for that person to back out. Forever. It takes forever. But do you see the application here? When we try to force things, 
when we try to force things, it makes things worse. When we're not willing to wait and let things happen as, as God wants them to happen, it will make things worse. So when we express how impatient we are by trying to hurry God along, look what happened in Abram and Sarah's case. Look what happened in the parking situation. So we're learning, and we hear from those, those situations, we're not supposed to go ahead of God. Do not go ahead of God. After all, did he not promise that he would supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ? He will supply all our needs. He will take care of us. I guess if you're, if you're taking that down and you're micromanaging how God is taking care of your needs, he will even take care of your need for a parking space. And it may not be as close to the store as you like, but he will provide for all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. Don't go ahead of God. Do not go ahead of God because God has also made a promise that he is going to mature us as his children. He's going to grow us as his children. We're going to become more like Christ. So we shouldn't rush that process. God had things for Carol to learn and to go through as he waited to be able to come back to church. And it's not something you could rush. It's something that you, you, had, to, you had to take in stride and allow God to do till that moment when, okay, I can get to go back to church now. But, oh, how I've missed my church. And, oh, how I love my church. And, oh, oh how when I get the opportunity, I'm going to stand and give testimony to how much I love the family of God. That was encouragement to everybody in here, right? God was doing something in that moment. He, and you couldn't rush that process because I think it's, it's something that, that got your testimony. I think if it had been two weeks, I think the time that it took for you to be able to, the week after week after week, I think it aged your testimony to the point that it would have maximum effectiveness. You understand what I'm saying? So we can't rush, we can't rush the process. We can't rush it in other people either. You know, we might have that mentality, well, if my husband or if my wife would just be more loving and more understanding, uh, if he or she would be more respectful, if he or she would do this more or that more, then I would be happy. And so even in those situations, we devise our own schemes to try to manipulate things, to try to force the issue. And what we can end up doing in our relationships is we can start nagging and complaining and honking our horn, so to speak, at people in our, in our families and in our homes. And we try to control people and we try to change people and it gets worse and, and situations get worse and relationships get worse. So we don't try to change our spouses. We don't try to change other people because the only person that can bring about real and necessary and lasting change is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can change a person the way they need to change. So what we do is we pray and we trust and we wait. <laughs> yes, pray and trust and wait and allow God to do things at his own pace and in his own time. And while I'm waiting, while I'm trusting I will concern myself with myself. Because what's God want to do in me? What's God want to do in my life? I believe 
It's kind of like when you hear a sermon and you walk out and you think, boy, I'm sure glad so-and-so was there because they needed that. And you never consider for a moment that that's something that you might have needed yourself. You know, that's that's kind of how that works. Because I believe that God may be, it may be even in the re- relationship that you wish other people would be different, maybe God is trying to change you in that situation. Maybe God is trying to do something in your life, just like with Carol. Maybe God's trying to do something in you. So concern yourself with yourself. And maybe he is wanting you to grow. Maybe he's wanting you to mature. Maybe he's wanting you to be more of this and less that. And maybe he's wanting you to change. And that's going to be, if that's what he wants, that's going to be for your good and for my good every single time. So what can what waiting can end up being is like one of the greatest teachers and one of the greatest trainers for you and me so that we can become more like Christ. We can be more mature as Christians and we can we can be better ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So we don't shortchange the process of waiting on God. We've got to wait on God. Be patient. Let him act in his time and in his way because as we will hear in these next few verses, he sees and he hears you in your distress. He sees you and he hears you in your distress. Let's look at verse number 7. Of Genesis 16. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water. Remember, Hagar had left because Hagar didn't like the the home situation anymore. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. So Hagar was heading back home. She was going back to Egypt because she didn't like the way things were going. But, But then the angel of the Lord stops her. And this is what transpires after that. Verse number 8. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. Wait a minute. Now, that wouldn't fly in this day and time either, would it? I think the advice that might be given, well, don't you go back. You look out for you, girl. You go on back where you where you where you came from, and you do what you want to do, and you take care of your life, and you take care of you, and don't you worry about that old mess back there. That they're in your past. You just you just go. But but the angel of the Lord came and said something different. Submit yourself under her hands. Would we ever encourage anybody to do that? I know you've been mistreated by your employers, but you need to get back because God's got something great to happen through this whole thing and the angel of the lord said unto her verse 10 i will multiply thy seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for multitude and the angel of the lord said unto her behold thou art with child and shalt bear a son and shalt call his name ishmael because the lord hath heard thy affliction so so ishmael means the lord hears me The Lord hath heard thy affliction. Verse 12. And he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So we get a little bit of a foreshadowing here, a little bit of uh, a premonition of what's going to happen later on down the road. 
And that's true. It's still true today because the Arab people, the Arabs are the descendants of Ishmael, and they are a wild and untamable people, and they absolutely hate the Jewish people, the Jewish people who will be the descendants of Ishmael's brother that has yet to be born, Isaac. But that's what's going to happen. But in all of that, we see a really great promise that God has made to an Egyptian slave. Look at verse 13. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called, I'm going to try this, Be'er Lahiroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. So instead of running away, which is what she felt like she should do and maybe felt entitled to do, she believed God, and she returned to Abram and Sarah, and God gave her a son. And every time Hagar called her son's name Ishmael, she was reminded that God hears her. And maybe every time that she went back to that well and got a drink of water, she reminded that God sees her. In her distress, God saw her. In her distress, God heard her. So she learned to wait. She learned to wait on the God who hears. She learned to wait on the God who sees. And you and I, we get to learn that as well. And we must learn that as well. So in Hagar's situation, we understand that we're not supposed to run away because that doesn't work. So when difficulties come, we face our problems with faith in God who has promised to supply all of our needs according to his riches. So we hope in the Lord who knows and understands our pain. He understands it all. He sees. He hears. And he is where our hope lies. I want to read another verse that helps us understand waiting. That's from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. That verse tells us that those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And I read about an individual who experienced this firsthand in his life. Back in World War II, his name was Ernest Gordon, and he was, he was, uh, he and a lot of his fellow prisoners in Jap Japan were they were in a Japanese concentration camp, and he and his fellow prisoners were used as slave labor, and there were of course hundreds of people who died in those concentration camps because of mistreatment, but as an officer, he struggled to help his fellow prisoners understand that there was a purpose to all of this suffering until he became deathly ill himself and so there was a chaplain there by the name of dusty dusty miller and he helped nurse he helped nurse Ernest back to health by using some of his rations to feed Ernest with and not only did he did he minister to him and take care of his needs physically he spoke truth into this man's life, which helped this man to be able to make it and to go through all that he had to go through. 
He told him, he said, a man can experience an incredible amount of pain and suffering if he has hope. When he loses his hope, that's when he dies. So no matter how bad it gets in the waiting, no matter how bad it gets in those situations, we must never lose our hope in the Lord. Our hope in the Lord that sees and hears us in our distress. He sees what you're going through. He hears your cry. And what we need to do is wait on him. Don't run from the problem. Don't try to fix the problem ourselves. We wait on God. One of the greatest lessons that you and I can learn. I want to I want to share another real life uh, example about how important waiting is and what can happen as we wait. Now there was a problem in the Houston uh, airport, in a Houston airport, because people were complaining because they had to wait a long time at the baggage claim area. I don't know if any of you have traveled much, but have you ever had to wait on your, la on your luggage in the baggage claim area? Well, there was a lot of complaints coming in, and so what they decided to do is let's hire more baggage handlers, let's get the, the luggage out there quicker, but the complaints were still coming in. And they thought, well, what's going on here? How do we fix this problem? And so it was discovered that on average it took the passengers, once they got off the plane, it took them a minute to walk to the baggage claim area. But they had to wait an average of seven minutes to get their luggage. So it was kind of like a hurry up and wait situation. They got off the plane, they walked to the baggage area, and then they had to wait on the, their luggage. So that wasn't a good thing. That's why the complaints were coming in. And so what they decided to do is they moved the arrival gates farther away from the baggage claim area. So it took people longer to, to walk to baggage claim. And once they got there, their baggage was usually waiting on them. So problem solved. The complaints became less and less. And it seemed like everything was great. So when, when this took place, and, and this is going to blow your mind, but there is actually a world expert on waiting in lines. There is a world expert on waiting in lines. Can I say that one more time? That's just amazing to me. It's probably like there's, there's probably a world expert on uh, timing how long it takes ketchup to come out of a bottle. I don't know. It's just amazing. What would you be? Think about this for just a second. Let's take a side trip if we can. If you could be the expert of anything, what would it be? Think about it. All right, let's move on. Okay. If you want to tell me later, you can. All right. So this expert, his name is Richard Larson, and he said that the length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. The length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. So we will tolerate occupied time, like the time it takes for us to walk to the baggage claim. But we will not tolerate unoccupied time, which is standing at the baggage carousel waiting for our luggage to come around. So if you give us something to do while we wait, then the wait becomes bearable. And that's why Disney World is so much fun, because when you're waiting in line they, and you're in the queue for the line, they've got some kind of little story they're telling, and you're, up, you're involved in this, and you've got things to do, and your time is, 
you know, you've got something to do with your time and it doesn't seem like you're having to wait as long. And so if we've got something to do while we're waiting, it's better. It's better. And it's the same way when we wait on God. We feel like we've got to do something. We've got to do something while we're waiting. But I offer this to you. Have you ever considered, and we've already talked about this, have you ever considered that it's God that is doing something in you while you're waiting? God is doing something in me while I'm having to wait. So don't go ahead of God. Let's wait on him to accomplish the good work that he's doing in me and to accomplish the good work that he's doing in you, making you more like him, helping you to realize what how important it is to be able to do the things you haven't been able to do so that you'll appreciate those things more. You know, maybe we're praying for someone to get saved. We've got a family member. We've been praying and waiting and waiting and praying, and we just continue to do that. Maybe we've got a financial problem or a relationship difficulty, and we're waiting for, for something to happen, and we just feel like we've got to do something. and got to do something to make it better. And instead of trusting and waiting on the Lord, we take things into our own hands, and we push the, push the matter when we really need to be waiting on the Lord. I've got one more illustration I want to give you before we close, and this one involves trapeze artists. I wish we had a couple of trapeze, uh, is that what they're called, trapezes? The things that you swing from? We're going to call them trapezes. Everybody say that, trapezes. Did it sound weird when you said it? It did. I think that's what it is, though. But anyway, you got two trapezes, and you got somebody over here and somebody over here, and this person is swinging, and, and they're the person that flies, that lets go and flies, and you got the person over here, and they're the catcher. And there's a unique relationship between the flyer and the catcher because the flyer, what the flyer has got to do is swing out over the crowd, and at the right time, they've got to let go and just hang in air, just hang in air and wait for the catcher to come and grab them with his, strong, his or her strong hands. So if the flyer tries to catch the catcher, there's going to be trouble because he'll probably end up in the net. And let's, hope, let's put a net down here too. Is that good with everybody? Hopefully they'll, they'll fall into the net. But if the flyer is willing to just let go and trust in the catcher to come along and catch them, then everything's going to be okay. Now the flyer doesn't need to do anything but just wait and trust. Wait and trust. They don't need to be up there filing their nails or scratching their head or messing with their phone. They just need to be up there and wait for the catcher to catch them. And that's when things are going to work out the best. And that is the way it is with our relationship with God. We must never try to catch the catcher. We have to wait in absolute trust. And we don't want to do that sometimes. But we have to be willing to do that. We have to allow God to develop that within us. Wait in absolute trust. And he will catch us. He will catch us. He will absolutely catch us. We don't need to try to help him out. We could end up falling, making the situation a whole lot worse. But we've got to remember that the catcher is also the one who sees us and the one who hears us in our distress. And he will catch us. And he will take care of us. It doesn't matter what your situation is. 
Now, over three months ago, I had surgery on my foot, which has been about a decade-long ordeal or problem, as most of you know. And the doctor said that the way that we're going to handle this is we're going to do one procedure, and then we're going to have to wait a long time, basically is what he said. And I was okay with that because I had experience waiting before on my foot to heal just for shorter periods, you know, while we wore, wore the cast and took the cast off and all that. So I was, I was prepared to, to wear the bandages. I was prepared to wear the boot. I was prepared to take the sit-down showers, and I was prepared to become wheelchair Willie again so that, you know, to wait this thing out and, and let's get this thing healed. What I wasn't prepared for necessarily were the daily visits to the hospital for infusions that went from two weeks to four weeks to six weeks, and the bi-weekly trips to the hospital to go to the wound clinic but still, the biggest hit came to my ability and my willingness to wait when COVID struck Sandy and myself. And the healing process for my foot had to be altered and adjusted while we, while we healed from this virus. So we waited to get better. We waited to feel better from the virus. Uh, we waited the recommended time to get back into to the public. And then I continued to wait on my foot to heal. And then the day came when the doctor said, hey, I think next week we can put you in a shoe. So bring your shoe next week. So I brought my shoe that next week, and he goes, I believe we need to wait one more week. He goes, bring your shoe next week. And I brought my shoe the next week, and he goes, I believe we need to wait for one more week. <laughs> he goes, bring your shoe next week. <laughs> and so I brought my shoe, and so it was like a three-week wait period on top of all the waiting that we had, we had already done. But this was something that could not be rushed, could not be rushed. And it was something that I couldn't do myself. I needed help. I needed time. So I had to trust and I had to wait. That's what I had to do. And this is such a great parallel to my life in Christ. Because I had to trust that my spiritual wounds, my sin and my shame and my brokenness, could only be healed by the great physician, by the great healer. I couldn't heal myself. And spiritually speaking, I'm talking now. I couldn't heal myself. And so now what I do in my relationship with him, what I'm learning to do, as, as you are as well, I hope and pray, is I am learning to, to wait on him to complete the good work that he has begun in me. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So I wait on him to do that. And I, what I have to do is I have to let go of a lot of things, and I have to trust that he will catch me. And all through that whole process, he is the God who sees, and he is the God who hears in my distress. And so I learn to trust, and I learn to wait. And there is nobody better to go through the waiting process and the changing process. There's nobody better to go through that with than Jesus Christ himself.